Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we are talking with Dr. Karen Moon, grief and loss psychotherapist, about how we are all feeling post-COVID, if we can really call it that. But before we talk to her, we're going to do our little chit-chat about our own experiences with re-entry and with our kids' re-entry. So, Steph, how's it been for your family? I'd say very varied and even varied amongst individuals. So I'll start with me because why not? I've, I've really settled in nicely to COVID. And it's funny, we had an opportunity to go to a theater the other night. And I'm like, why would I go? I can stream the movie here. I can lay with the dog. I can be in my pajamas and I can stop it if I want to go to the bathroom. Like I couldn't see any upside to going. Yeah. So I, I felt that way. Also, I thought I'll, I'll never do any of those things. And then I went to the movies last week and it was just a thrill. How else is your family doing? How are the kids doing? I think the kids are doing pretty well. I would say I have a theory, and I have no letters after my name to prove this theory, so I'm hoping that somebody writes something about this. So you're going to hear more about this from Dr. Karen Moon in a little bit. So one of the questions we have for her is about resilience and how this generation is going to respond. And it's very interesting because I have a freshman in college that we just visited last weekend, and we hadn't seen her since we dropped her off, so she's been there about two months. And It's very interesting. She's formed some really tight bonds. And I am wondering if there is like a craving for these kids who weren't in school like the last year and a half or whatever, who went off to college, if their experience looks different than say even the kids a few years older, where we would often hear in our work and in life about kids being, you know, tied more to their home friends and, you know, into their social media because they can, and that's more comfortable than putting yourselves out there. Like when we went to college, Sue, like in the, you know, the 1700s and you had to, you know, jump in with both feet because there really wasn't a choice. And so, and, and it's not just Lane, it's not, you know, uh, uh, because I was watching these other kids around her and some of her friends and some of the things that they shared with us. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I've been thinking about it since we saw her because it it felt like really strong, bond, like even different than when I went to college. So I, I, it keeps running through my head if there is like a almost like that craving for that human interaction and to be close to people. Really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, all I remember is that my very three closest friends in college I met like the first two days of school, and they remain in my life today. So I don't know in the interim if that changed dramatically, but I feel like my kids also, their freshman dorm floor was like home and happy and they're friends with those people still. Like there's something so vulnerable about that, that freshman time. It's so true. I remember lining up like my first day at Miami and I was in a program there and they lined a bunch of us up to go to like the orientation for it. And the girl standing behind me said, oh, I like your tree torns. Still one of my best friends. That's how we met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you're, you know, I mean, I I feel that way in general when you go to something where there's a beginning. Like if you go on a group something, you better show up at the very beginning because everybody's just feeling the same amount of nervousness, you know. 
I think when you first asked the question, I was thinking about like each kid, I think there have been, I think each of us have had different phases of COVID and existence and, you know, how that's been. And, and I think because we had two move back home, so there was literally physically a move and readjusting to each other. Like, I feel, I think that's one of the reasons COVID feels like it's been 50 years besides the obvious and being on lockdown and all that. There's also this, like, you could almost like cut it up. It's kind of like when... If I go on a vacation where I have to move a couple times, like you move either, you know, hotels or you're traveling from one city to another, like I'll look back and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I've been gone for a month, but I've only been gone six days. So it's like, it's almost like you could section it out. And that's how I feel about COVID. So there's been these sections and I think there are sections that were with great joy and sections that were with great disappointment and maybe sections that, that had both. But I, I think that's part of it where I'm like, wait, when did COVID start? Was that, was that like 1942? Well, I mean, I think if I'm saying my kid transitioned back really easily, but he also had the same anxiety that the rest of the world had. So that hovers and it hovers deeply for my kids about COVID and also about like just social justice was looming big in their lives. So there was yes. there was so much anxiety going on. I would say in my own life, re-entry has been like in some ways super easy to, and you kind of forget. And then in other ways, like the social component of being in a large group is like a muscle that hasn't been worked. So we really love getting together with one other couple. Beyond that, it's been a little more challenging. Like when there's multiple people in the room, I think we're all trying to figure out how does that conversation go? Like, are we all in the same conversation the whole time? Are there things that we did like like second nature? We've just kind of forgotten and have to rebuild those muscles. So, you know, I went to this movie and I kind of wasn't so worried. Like I just suspended mm. the fear. And then I walk into a store and I forget my mask and I run out to get it. So it's just funny, <laughs> like the different places where it hits me and I feel nervous. And then other times where I literally kind of suspend the fear and forget that it's something to even worry about. And I long for many more days of the forgetting, but it, it's not the reality. It's so funny, Sue. Just last night I said to a friend, I'm trying to think what she said that prompted this. Oh, we were talking about one of her kids who is in his first job post-college. And I said something about, well, what's his travel time. She's like, from the kitchen to the bedroom. I'm like, oh, right. And then I said something about her husband, who's always traveled. I'm like, oh, you know, um, I said, oh, right. You know, John's not here or whatever. She's like, no, no, he's here. And I'm like, okay, this is the funniest conversation. I'm like, because in COVID, you know, I've always worked out of my house. So that piece didn't change. And Todd, who's always been in the office, because he's in a small business, has always been in the office. We're not in like corporate America in many ways. And so we were laughing about it last night because I was like, oh my God, this is so funny because my house sort of looked the same, except for the kids coming and going <laughs> during that time. But in terms of what I do day to day and Todd does day to day, those pieces haven't changed. But in her life with people in corporate America, it has looked really different. So it was so it was such a funny conversation. Yeah, I only have one, I have one kid back in the office. And one kid who does more project-based work has, you know, been doing that. Two kids, like, working from home indefinitely, I think. They have no, yeah. they have no return date. All right, anything else to add about re-entry for us? There was, you know, we, did, we, we are going to be talking a lot with Dr. Moon about loss and all the ways that we all lost things during COVID. I find it hard to, re like, hold on to those things. I mean, obviously, 
I was so fortunate to not lose any loved ones. So that goes mm-hmm. without saying that like that puts you into a whole separate category because the grief doesn't end just because time yeah. days passed. But um, but the loss of like you know activity or friendship or whatever else we you know regular routine all those things it's it's just so hard for me to get back to that headspace like this time right now feels okay to me like i'm not waiting for some bigger return i'm good right right no that's a funny one i hadn't even thought about that yeah same <laughs> same all right well wherever you are in the journey of reentry we hope you're doing okay and if you're not doing okay we we hope you have the resources to help you through it it's been a a rough two years. So onward and to better times. Up next is our conversation with Karen Moon. We can't wait for you to join us. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Anne Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in, and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. today is Karen Moon, a psychotherapist specializing in grief and loss. 
She has over 30 years of experience working with individuals, families, and organizations. She's counseled those affected by the Oklahoma City bombing, Columbine shootings, and provided numerous bereavement groups for employees and families affected by 9-11. Currently, she has a private practice in Wayne, Pennsylvania, where she draws upon family systems theory, positive psychology, and mindfulness to work with clients struggling with loss and change due to death, divorce, and life transition. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Karen. Karen, you have talked about the importance of letting people tell their stories. And that's like a, I feel like that's out everywhere right now. Like that is the importance of being a good listener and and letting people tell you who they are and not necessarily have to be like, well, here's my story back at you, right? Like just being a good listener. Now, I want to hear my kids' stories. I'm more able to do that than with any other relationship, but they don't want to tell them to me. So if that's a really important part of like them feeling heard and feeling healthy and well, especially now, and and like, ha, is there a way for me to approach them? Is there language for me to use to get them to open up to me? Or is it possible I'm just not their person? I mean, it's possible that you're not their person. That's unlikely. I think they need <laughs> lots of people <laughs> and you can be one of them. So let me just backtrack the importance of telling stories. I believe that we as humans, even teenagers who have only been on this earth for 14 or 15 years, all walk around with very set stories. And some of those stories don't get challenged. And this is sort of my big sell as to people coming into therapy. I will challenge your stories. So you may say to me, oh, I'm not athletic. Because throughout my whole life, my parents told me I wasn't athletic. Well, that's not true. It was never challenged. Or my math teacher in second grade told me I wasn't very good at math. And what do we do when we get information like that? We live our life like that. So I'll never be an accountant. So what I love about people telling their stories in a safe space is that then it gives the person listening an opportunity to share a different perspective. But even more importantly, when you tell a story and it comes out, and I'm sure you've all experienced this, you suddenly look at it and say, well, wait, maybe that's not true when you when you hear it coming out. So, and that's still, and and our teenagers are in a developmental stage of life where they're trying to figure out who they are. So what they need is a safe space to tell all of their outlandish thoughts and stories. Because once it comes out, it could either get dissolved or it could be true. And as a parent, how do we get them to feel safe enough to tell us their outlandish stories? And I think the key is curiosity. And I will probably say that over and over again in today's podcast, to be curious and to ask questions. And so what is that actually, like, can you give us an example? I mean, I don't, I don't know what I don't know about my kids' stories. So they come home from school. So they come home from school. And well, what's a typical question that you ask? How'd you do on your test? Bad question. <laughs> Bad question. How'd you do on your test? To try to dig deeper, like, what was it like sitting at lunch today? Like not what you have for lunch or who'd you sit with? What was it like sitting at lunch today? And then I, you know, always a good way of helping people feel safe to share is to share stories that you've experienced. Gosh, when I was sitting at lunch today, this was happening. Or I can remember when I was in eighth grade and I walked into the cafeteria one day and I couldn't find a place to sit. And it can open them up 
But what you're trying to do is to get underneath the facts of, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and my friend told me she failed a test. And then you want to ask more of like, well, what did that feel like to hear her fail her test? Or how did you respond? Okay, so we're sitting at this very specific moment in time, post-COVID, in COVID, mid-COVID, whatever. Tell us what you're hearing from teenagers right now. What are their specific challenges? I would say, especially at the beginning of the school year, the most thing I was hearing from, from kids was kind of an overwhelm of overstimulation. And those kids who were extroverted and social pre-pandemic, thinking that I'm going to go back into this normal world and be my normal self and not appreciating or understanding or accepting of the changes that they may have gone through. So my biggest advice to a lot of these teenagers has been to pace yourself. But the stories I've heard is like, I went to a football game, which is something I loved a year and a half ago or two years ago. And I felt anxious and overwhelmed and nervous. And that's not like me. There was a lot of growth that happened in those 18 months. And now we're going back and testing it back into the real world. And that's, and it's hard for kids to see that they've changed or to know or to understand that they need time to kind of get back into the world. And I feel like it was sort of black and white last year was like nothing. And this year it's like, we're back full throttle. So what's the best way for us to engage with them, recognizing that that is a real hurdle right now and a real struggle? Well, first off, I wonder if any of you are feeling that way too. I don't think it's just for kids. I think all of us are feeling that way. It's a bit of an assault, this new world, which was our old world, and jumping back into it. And I I think most of us have struggled with feeling uncomfortable and not at ease. So I think it's a way, if, if there's a way to dig a bit and help them to verbalize how they're feeling and then validate and kind of give them permission to feel it and encouragement that with time they're going to come back to who they are but it's going to take there's a little you don't you don't run a you don't run a marathon in a day you have to work up to it okay so i know you specialize in grief and loss and for we you know we talk about loss during COVID in a very broad way. But for some people, loss was actually a permanent death of somebody in their family. And I've heard my kids say this, when they have had a friend who lost somebody, they felt like it was enough time already for them to stop talking about it and stop. Like, it's so hard. All they talk about is, and whatever that is. So these kids who lost somebody during COVID had a long time to, to be alone with their grief. Now they're back with friends and the friends might not be so interested in that like immediacy of a loss. So for that kid, is there something that we can do for them, help them through this? Like, it seems like there's a limited amount of time that the world allows you to grieve and that might have passed in isolation. Sue, you bring up such a good point. And this is not just for kids. This is for everyone. The beauty of COVID for people who have lost somebody, whether it be from COVID or anything else, there was this safety of being with your own people to grieve. But what what people missed was that stepping out into the real world in the midst of the early grief. So they missed that step. And now they're stepping out. And 
yes, to the rest of the world, you should be over it. Because unfortunately, in American culture, you know, we think it's three months, possibly a year, definitely after a year, you should be done. And grief is the most individual process. Everybody grieves differently, and everybody needs different support. This is what I love about working with people who are grieving is help and people who are not grieving, but are trying to support a grieving person is to help people be open to their process and sharing what they need from other people. So I'll just tell a story that when I worked at Merrill Lynch for 15 years as a social worker, um, I was the bereavement expert. And whenever there was a death in an office, I would go to that office and work with the employees and give them a space to talk about their grief. If there was the death of an employee, I would go to the office. And most of the time, people were like, I've got this. I know how to deal with my own grief. And I wouldn't get a lot of um, interaction. If there was the death of a child or a spouse of an employee, I'd go to the office and it would be standing room only. Because people are so hungry to know, what do I do? How do I talk to him when he comes back to the office? What do we do about the picture on his desk? What should I say to him? And what people do when they don't know what to do, generally they do nothing because they're afraid they're going to do the wrong thing. And that's for kids and adults when it comes to grief. And that's why the person who is grieving is feeling so isolated. And for any of you who have lost someone I'm sure you would all raise your hand and say it was such a gift. A year after that person died, if a friend calls you up and said, I've been thinking about your dad, how are you doing with that? Is such a gift and very rare. So if there is a way that you can, this is an opportunity to teach your kids how much of a gift that would be to their friends to, to bring up the loss. I love that. It made me teary. But also... Mm-hmm. Um, I know that people think, well, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to make them sad. The same thing goes for suicide. People will say, well, I'm not going to ask that person, are they feeling suicidal? Because what if they are? What if I give them the idea? That's, it's simply not true. You know, we also have this assumption that grief is all horribly sad, but grief can be incredibly beautiful. And so you bring up your dad, your friend's dad to her, and I would say a 99% chance is going to be that she feels a warmth in her heart. It's not like, oh, yeah, I forgot my dad died and I feel sad. So I encourage everyone to take that risk. If that person cries, there's nothing wrong with that. You've given them the gift of recognizing, recognizing their pain, which is always a gift. So many adults that made up uh, our our villages pre-COVID. And when you were on Kelly, when you were a guest on Kelly Corgan's podcast, she called it a network of weak ties. And then all of that was lost in COVID. How hard will that be to recreate? I think we're living in a new world. (laughs) So I think we have to let go of our attachment of what we had pre-COVID and be open with what is available to us now. And my example of that is, and I'm sure all of you have experienced this, like going to the grocery store with the mask on and that weak tie of the checkout person who we would smile at (laughs) and feel some kind of connection is not quite as evident with that mask on. So we have to be creative and get better with our eyes in making that connection. There's a lot of things that aren't necessarily going to come back that help support those weak ties, but it doesn't mean that we can't find it in other ways. And so just like any time you lose something, 
it's important to be creative in finding other ways to get similar things back, but not with the expectation that it's completely the same thing back, because then you're just always in a deficit model. I want to jump into like the, the level of the number of people who touched our kids in their day that made us feel like there were another set of eyes on like kind of keeping track of their health and wellness. And that disappeared. And that was brought up a lot of times during COVID that, you know, the, just the nurse in the school who maybe you'd go in for a throat lozenge and she'd talk to your kid and find out that something big was going on. That all wasn't there anymore. So is that a space that is going to come back for our kids, health and wellness? Like once they go back into the building, are they just going to fall right back into, we've got many eyes on your child who will let you know if things aren't going, going well? I hope so. I would think so. I mean, that is that to me is as important as the academic education that our kids are getting within the schools. And I am hopeful and assuming that everyone, using my last point, is being creative in different ways to touch. And again, I think walking around the hallways with masks on, it is harder to see things. So I'm hoping that people are taking the, you know, the deeper dive into trying to connect because you can hide a lot behind the masks. So, but that's a good point. I mean, Sue, that's a really good point. I had never really, I hadn't really thought about that. I think that also the the responsibility then on us parents is to help encourage these other people in our kids' village and for us to do the same with other kids, like for us all to be more vigilant on staying connected and seeing, really seeing our kids. I use that example a lot of the kids who get lost in high school. It just takes one teacher to notice them. And we all want to be noticed and we all want to be seen. And with these masks or with kids who choose to do the, if if your school allows it to do Zoom school, we simply have to be more creative in how to reach them. So let's talk about the COVID COVID safety rules, which were... (laughs) <laughs> they were uh, not so clear, not so mm-hmm. definitive, not the same everywhere, um, really hard to navigate. Um, and then suddenly it became political. How did that impact our teens? You know, when you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the base is like safe, is, um, you know, a, a roof over your head and consistency, like a strong foundation and a roof over your head. And then once you get that mastered, you can go up to the higher levels and achieve them. I think it's really important at home that the rules be consistent. And I think what's been difficult for us adults is when we look at our home, which is kind of the the top of the government, it was inconsistent, which made us all feel insecure. So there's not a lot we can do about that. Things are looking better. But what we can do is manage what's happening at home. So I think it's important to be consistent with what your rules are at home. I find that at the you know at the beginning of COVID in March of 2020, it was much easier because the rules were really clear and we all followed them. You know, we washed our groceries, we wore the masks, and now it's like a little bit of everything. So I think it's important to have the conversation going when you're at home and constantly reminding your kids what you believe to be true at home and stick with it. And I think a lot of us have experienced our own hypocrisy and the hypocrisy of others. Like, okay, this rule works. We're not going to be with, you know, groups larger than 20. Oh, but then when I got invited to this party, well, 
I let that rule go. And we've all, we've all done that. So as much as you can kind of stick to things. You mean like eating, eating out in a restaurant, walking in with a mask on, sitting down, and when the server comes with your food, all of a sudden there's no threat anymore and you take the mask off to eat. Yeah. Really inconsistent. It doesn't make, and it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to us. And it doesn't make sense to the kids. I mean, so I think also just having that conversation of the confusion of it. So I'm, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I think it's important to provide consistency, but also allow the conversation that, yeah, this is confusing to me too. And being human with your kids, like this does not make sense to me, but this is what we're doing. I saw that pediatricians who were very definitive went viral. Like parents were so grateful for doctors mm-hmm. who came out with a very clear, definitive set of rules, even though there was no science behind their decision-making versus someone else who said, yeah, it's confusing. It's not so clear. Anyway, I just think it's interesting how much, how deeply we crave for someone else to take responsibility and say, here's what you do. And then we're glad to do it. We'll be all over yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and we are, we are humans and humans do want order. Like we want structure. We want order. We also want a lot of freedom within that. But at the end of the day, we we do like to know what's right or wrong or what's going to work or not work. Yeah, that gray is really rough. Yes, gray is hard. You know, everything has a negative and a positive, and we see it all the time. And our kids just lived through something really negative. But what's the positive? Like, will this generation be more resilient? Will they be able to sit with uncertainty better? Um, You know, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what would you guess? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I feel like the generation before them never really experienced any adversity. Our kids have experienced adversity. They've experienced incredible loss and they've survived it. And a lot of them have thrived through it. And, or, and those that aren't thriving now may be thriving later. And we all know this, that adversity builds strength. Modern day parenting, because of our resources and our information and our technology. We do everything that it's our knee-jerk reaction to protect our kids from adversity. We couldn't protect our kids from this one. And what they saw is that we can live through it and that we can all pivot, to use a very popular word these days, we can pivot and readjust and find other things to bring us calmness and joy. So for our listeners, for our parents, how do we continue to give our teens their best, our best support as they continue to have, I would say, these pain points that have emerged post-COVID. Is it acknowledging those? Is it like, and how do we even know what they are? Okay. First of all, I think it's patience. I, I do think that the world reopened and we all just jumped back thinking we're the same people we were 18 months ago. So take a pause and acknowledge that when you step off the field, you can't jump right back in and play the game and that there's a ramp up time. What I have what I have heard from parents is a real panic of like all the time that was lost. And I'm especially hearing this from parents in high school who have kids who are applying to college and all that was lost. And how do we make up this time? I also hear that from kids. I especially heard this last year for the kids who are freshmen right now. Like I lost a whole year. I'm not really ready to go to college. So I think it's acknowledging that there's been a loss, but there were gains in that period too. So to also recognize what did we gain during that period of being at home? 
it wasn't just that you lost time. It was a different set of, it, the time was spent differently than what we usually do. I like the idea of patience and just taking a breath because there is, it's like everything. It's like this uh, action and, you know, this equal and opposite reaction where like, and I can relate to that. Like, I feel like, oh my God, they've lost so much time and like time to get right back in and let's speed this up and we can like get ourselves right back where we were supposed to be. And yet it's kind of the opposite. Mm -hmm. So it's a little counterintuitive and yet like everything in Mm -hmm. parenting, how can patience be bad, <laughs> right? right, like right. That, I feel like that is often an answer. So I, I love that. I think being patient and also, again, I bring my word back of being curious, like really asking them, like, what is it like? Like, don't just assume that going back to that way overstimulated cafeteria is the same as it was a year and a half ago. I mean, when you think about those seniors in high school right now, the last time they were really in a regular cafeteria was sophomore year. Like the growth that happens between sophomore and senior year. And I'm not the same person I was a sophomore year. You and I can say a year and a half ago, I'm not that much different, but they are. So, and giving them kind of the permission to understand that and, and express it. Just doing a little nod to all that the kids lived through in terms of social unrest in our in our society while they were also nursing this like separation from their world. I, as a teenager, pretty much thought about soap operas after school. And kids today feel so aware and passionate and they're they want to change the world, they want to right our wrongs. Is that like too much on their shoulders? Is there are they carrying a burden right now? Does do you find that encouraging or are you also worried about it? I'm more worried about it honestly. I have just in the past month I've had two or three clients who come in and have like real anxiety about the earth and global warming real anxiety, the same way that you and I might've felt anxiety about who our best friend was. And I, and there is, I think our age of information is wonderful in a lot of ways, but I also think we have a lot too much information and we're overstimulated. And I think our kids have so much information. And if it's, and if there's not a place for them really to talk about it, it stays inside and, and things get amplified. You know, I used to say this all the time back in the day when I would talk about stress in that, you know, we get news real time. And, um, you know, 50 years ago, there could have been an earthquake in Thailand and we wouldn't know about it till two days later. And there's not much we can do except send our, our positive energy to Thailand. But now we see it right front and center as do our kids. And there's this reaction, like, what can I do? What can I do? And there's not a lot we can do. And so then we feel helpless. And so I think I think you bring up a really good point. I think it's something that needs to be talked about. There's nothing, there's not a lot that you can do. I mean, I do, well, what you can do is not have the news on all the time and give ourselves some breaks from this constant stimulation and encourage your kids to zone out to a soap opera and not always be on real time to what's happening in the world. And which is just a reminder of how helpless they are. I could really nail the help with the soap opera. I, I really yeah. get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I think it's true. I think they really crave that disconnection now, which is mm-hmm. so interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe disconnection isn't the right word, but like that being able to go inward again. 
Maybe mm-hmm. that's a better way to say it. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to ask you what we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? I have two big myths about raising teenagers. One is that we have control. We don't have control. We do have impact, but their friends have some impact. Social media has impact. The world has impact. Their teachers have impact. And to recognize that all these other people impact our teenagers. We had a lot more control when they were two or three, but we don't have control now. My other myth is that they are a product that we can mold and make into what we want them to be. I'm a bigger believer in nature than I am in nurture. Our kids came out, they, they rented space in our bodies and they came out their own people. And it's our job to know that person and to guide, but not to mold and make into something that they're not. Well, there goes our business. Thanks so much, Karen Moon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Karen Moon, thanks so much for being here with us. We really appreciate your time and your wonderful advice. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.